Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. And today we are very happy to be joined by a gentleman on the West Coast or the left coast, if you will. His name is David Bienenstock, and he's a former content editor for High Times and now the co-host of Great Moments in Weed History. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. How did that podcast get started? Great Moments in Weed History with Abdullah and Bean. Uh, yeah, we, we started about two years ago. Uh, uh, Abdullah and I have been working together on other projects. We worked on a Vice show called Bong Appetit uh, about cannabis and food together. We, we actually knew each other before that, but that's where we really got... Uh, tight had a lot of fun making that show anybody who's done television production knows there's a lot of downtime while you're moving the cameras while you're setting up for the next shot we would uh go off smoke some weed and and talk about weed and um that really developed into the podcast uh a few years later he left Vice. I had been working at High Times and, and left. We both wanted to create something independently, something that we could have control over, uh, that we could express what we wanted to about cannabis and cannabis culture. Uh, and we actually thought about a few different formats. And when we tried out great moments in weed history, it just really clicked. Uh, the way the show works is every episode is a different story. For instance, Willie Nelson got uh, stoned on the roof of the White House, uh, smoked a joint on the roof of the White House. That's a whole episode. Or we have episodes about Fela Cootie, um, Jesus, <laughs> all kinds of people. Napoleon invaded Egypt, and that's how hashish got to Europe. Uh, Maya Angelou has an incredible cannabis story. Uh, so we try to hit all different aspects. We talk about not just celebrities, but growers, uh, people from the community, Dennis Perone and Brownie Mary, who were at the forefront of the medical cannabis movement. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's we have a lot of fun with the show, a lot of humor, but we do take the history seriously. We think it's important for people to understand uh, what everyone went through to get to this point of legalization for some and to be inspired to uh, keep pushing things forward and, and make this plant uh, legally available to everybody. And of course, being in California, coming from the East Coast, now every time I visited California, I always feel like I'm in a different planet. There's just different thinking out there. People are at a different pace. Uh, when you come from the East Coast to the West Coast, how long did it take you to adapt to the California culture? I, I still find myself looking over my shoulder sometimes when I uh, smoke weed. It's it's something that's in. If you grew up in a prohibition state and you grew up really loving cannabis, uh, it, it gets into your DNA. Uh, and so I should mention I grew up in New Jersey, uh, which this November is going to vote on legalization along with a number of other states. Uh, so. You know, make sure that wherever you live, you're registered to vote. Make sure you know what's happening in your state with cannabis and also how it's going to affect the federal uh, government 
will affect legalization. So wherever you are, if you're registered, you can be a cannabis voter. If you're not registered, you can't participate in what is the most important function towards legalization. Um, and so I'm very much looking forward to going home. I still call New Jersey home. I haven't lived there in over a decade, visiting my family, visiting my old friends and enjoying uh, legal cannabis. Uh, so that's, you know, will be a very full circle moment for me. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Massachusetts, we voted in legalization of adult use uh, four years ago in the 2016 election. It took them two years just to get to the starting line to open the first dispensary. And even now, they're still only in double figures. I'm pretty sure it's the count is Mike 45 in that range with projections to go to into the hundreds. Can you, at being part of a mature market, What's the biggest thing that you've noticed? And of course, in California, they had medical for a long time, but recently they just opened up the adult use thing. And it seems like there's been a lot of controversy in California regarding licensing and uh, the competition with the illegal market there. Um, what's the flavor? What's, the, what it's, what's going on in California there? Are people accepting the fact that there is a movement towards legalization? Um, yeah, let me, let me quickly run down the other states that are voting to make sure I mention them all. That's okay. Uh, and and of course, name. today, you know what today, we're, we're, I yeah. usually don't like to date my interviews, but it is National Register to Vote Day today. And I got a tweet from Bill Kreutzmann. And I have a great Bill <laughs> Kreutzmann story if you want to hear it. He is, of course, the original drummer of the Grateful Dead. And I think you might have actually interviewed them at some point. Uh, we did an episode about the Grateful Dead because uh, they were they were all busted in 1967. And they're not every member of the band, but the house where they lived, 710 Ashbury Street, which is a very iconic location in Grateful Dead history and even sort of in counterculture history. They were targeted by the police for a cannabis bust. Uh, several members of the band were arrested. Their manager uh, other people who lived at the house. And you can listen to the episode on Great Moments in Weed History podcast, but instead of, um, you know, what the Grateful Dead did was they held a press conference. They invited the media into the house. They denounced uh, the arrest, the larger war on cannabis. They soon after played a benefit concert to raise money, not for themselves, uh, but for everyone else around them who was also being targeted by the police in the counterculture. Um, and really, you can, in the episode we get into it, that was the beginning of, not the beginning, but that was a pivotal moment in the cannabis movement in San Francisco, which, you know, was the birthplace of the medical cannabis movement in this country in a lot of ways has been at the forefront of this issue really ever since. We're going back to 1967. Um, so that's a long way back in cannabis years. And it's it's also a very uh, interesting story. Um, just to mention the other states, uh, Mississippi, South Dakota, Arizona, and Montana, all voting on cannabis initiatives uh, this year. As far as in California, cannabis is like a way of life at this point. Um, I think, yeah, there are some people who are never going to accept it, but 
by and large in society in California. We've had medical cannabis since 1996. Uh, it's a long cultural tradition. Um, so we're not the problem here in California with the laws and with social acceptance. We need to extend that to everyone in the country and around the world. Um, as far as the industry, there's a lot to criticize in terms of people with a lot of capital coming in and using that to take market share and those opportunities not being as available to people who are legacy producers who've been doing this a long time or to the poor and minority communities that were most harshly targeted and disproportionately targeted by the war on drugs. Um, and so there's a lot of movement to try to bring more equality to the industry. And that's really important. Um, but I, what I try to remind people is that is a problem with capitalism as it is embedded in our system of governance and in our financial system. Um, what legalization does is end these arrests and end the targeting of people. Um, and as, as you know, being arrested for cannabis not only has direct legal consequences, but you could lose your job. You could lose your student financial aid. If you live in public housing, you could lose your home. You could lose in terrible instances, whole families can be torn apart. Um, and this has been going on for so long. So when we talk about legalization, I want people to think about ending those arrests and creating a system uh, for legal sales and cultivation. When you wanna get mad about how some of this plays itself out, um, I, all of those arguments are valid. I do not like seeing corporate America come in and try to take over cannabis, but that is a problem with capitalism. Right. And so you need to uh, hold both of those thoughts in your mind simultaneously. What I've met uh, along the way on my little journey in the interview of a lot of cannabis people in this industry, um, there's still a lot of them that do hold this socially responsible philosophy for their capitalist ways. And I do salute them for that, but I also wonder how long they can sustain that responsibility. And as you know, um, recently, it looks like Vermont uh, will finally have adult use recreational sales. The Senate in Vermont passed that today, and they are now going to move towards a, a you know, adult use legal state as opposed to where it's been, which has been legal, but um, you, know, that you couldn't sell it. You couldn't buy it in Vermont legally. And now, of course, they get to tax it and all that. Um, do you see the initiatives more from the legislature moving this forward. They're expunging all the records of past cannabis convictions in Vermont uh, for possession, which I think is a great thing. So do we see the movement more powerfully through the ballot box or through the legislature? Almost every state that has legalized has done so through some kind of ballot initiative, right. uh, direct voting, everybody gets a say. Um, and the reason for that is that the people 
are far ahead of the government when it comes to this issue. And so when you ask the citizens to vote, you see these big majorities nationwide, it's over 66% support for legalization. It's different in different states. Uh, but when your elected representatives are left to their own devices, we can look at New York and New Jersey have been on the cusp of legalizing for literally years. Right. Uh, when the current governor of New Jersey was elected, it was he had a campaign promise to legalize within 100 days of taking office. He tried. Right. Uh, he didn't back away from that promise, but despite these big majorities in support, it's very hard to do because you're going up against special interests, including, but not limited to, the police, the pharmaceutical industry, uh, private prisons, some very, very powerful forces in our society. I would say some very uh, messed up institutions that do not have our best interests at heart. And so, that is where you see these efforts often get stalled in the state legislatures or watered down. Um, and even if you pass legalization through a voter initiative, the rules to govern that industry and the regulations are still going to be created in these state legislatures. So for one, we have to vote for people to actually represent our interests. And this goes not just for cannabis, but for all kinds of issues. Uh, and then we still have to hold them account uh, and make sure that they implement the will of the people. And, you know, what you end up seeing a lot is, uh, and, and, and of course, also, not every state allows voter initiatives. Um, so now a lot of the states that do have already legalized and we're getting into harder uh, terrain. Um, but what you really will see is, okay, the, the people vote, we have five more states that are gonna vote, they choose legalization. Then when it gets into making the rules, that's where you see these backroom deals. That's where you see these large interests with a lot of money pushing for rules that are going to be to their advantage. And that's when it's really important for the community to come out and keep pushing for not just legalization, but an equitable, fair system of legalization uh, that actually promotes small business and local businesses uh, rather than advantaging whoever has the most capital. Right. And, and therein lies a, another issue, as you know, in the cannabis space is the, the social equity movement, trying to not only expunge the records of past uh, people who have been most affected by the war on drugs, but the fact that this is no longer just a drug issue. It truly is a civil rights issue, that there's, our jails are filled with persons of brown and, and black skin that have been persecuted, have been targeted by law enforcement. And, and we all recognize that there is a huge problem with law enforcement in this country profiling people and knowing that, hey, if we pull this guy over and he's black, we're probably going to find some weed on them. That, has, that is systematic racism in its simplest form. 
And now we're starting to see how cannabis can actually um, change that a little bit and perhaps help the movement out. You know, I don't know if it's a, a cure-all medicine, but it certainly can be a big band-aid for what ails the uh, society these days. And I'm talking about the economy and I'm talking about uh, the taxes that could drive a better education and, and better public housing. Um, the fact that it's become a political issue in Washington, D.C., that the two sides couldn't even come together on a second COVID-19 relief bill because the word cannabis was given to the Senate blows my mind. How frustrating is it to know that in California, you guys are light years ahead of most of the country. Massachusetts, we picked it up a little bit late, but we got it right. And now moving it into Washington, D.C., that polarization that's gone on is, is very frustrating for me. I wonder how you guys feel. Yeah, I think a few things. One thing is we have to not lose sight in any sense that there's going to be 650,000 cannabis arrests in the United States this year. Uh, and that's with a lot of states that have legalized. Right. Um, so that's still a massive number. Those arrests are still disproportionately four to five times more likely to target uh, the poor and minorities. That's part of, uh, as I say, you know, the economic system created around cannabis is a symptom of capitalism failing us in so many ways. The systemic racism of the police exists and then is applied via cannabis. So we cannot fix the police by legalizing cannabis, but we can eliminate 650,000 arrests that are racially uh, disproportionate and, and to me, unconstitutional. Um, the other thing I just need people to understand is if you smoke cannabis and you are part of this community, you're part of a community that is being targeted by the police for SWAT raids, for being pulled over, for having your door kicked down in the middle of the night, for all of these arrests. The war on cannabis has been racist and abusive for a hundred years. Um, so don't turn away from it. There's a lot of people who think, well, you know, I live in a nice middle-class community and I could smoke weed in my bedroom and I'm not worried about it. Well, that's good for you, but you're not a part of this community if you're going to turn your back on the people who are being arrested, which is the poor, minorities, and young people. And um, my frustration is palpable uh, with that. I think when we look at now... What is the situation in the federal government? It's easy to say, why can't the two sides agree? But the fact is we have one political party where support for legalization is very large among the Democrats and certainly for decriminalization is almost universal. Uh, when any cannabis bill goes to a vote in the house, you're gonna see large majorities of Democrats voting in favor and large majorities of Republicans voting against. Um, historically, looking back, both parties uh, 
did not support our community, did not stand up for us. That's why we've had all this progress through voter initiatives and not through the two-party system, but it is completely off base to equate them. Um, if you are voting for president, if you are voting for your senators, if you are voting for your Congress people, I'm not gonna tell you how to vote on any other issue. Uh, that's up to you. You know, what I think is pretty apparent to anybody who knows me, but I will talk about this issue because I've been reporting on it for 20 years. And the party that supports legalization and ending these arrests is the Democratic Party and the Republican Party with notable exceptions and libertarians, but by and large is opposed the president that we have right now has been president for four years and over 2 million cannabis arrests and has done nothing to stop it. So when people uh, want to pretend otherwise, that is just simply uh, wishful thinking. Right. And 200,000 people have died because of COVID under his administration leadership too. I, I just want to throw that out there. Uh, let's face it, while we wave the flag for the green wave and, and cannabis reform, um, the leadership has been non-existent and perhaps even edging on the criminal side of things. But again, even though we're separated by 3,000 miles, I think we actually are in alignment when it comes to the politics of things, David. Um, let me, let's go have some fun. We've talked about some pretty serious stuff off the top. You guys, when you do your podcast, you use a, uh, a nationally known figure or an event um, as the, the vehicle to create uh, a moment in history. Um, you've mentioned a few of them. Um, you guys have a lot of fun. How do you balance the seriousness of some of these issues that we've talked about and the fun and the culture that's part of the cannabis world? Yeah, well, Right built into the format of the show is in every episode, uh, I'll research a story. For instance, uh, do you know who was the first person to uh, smoke out the Beatles? Who, who got the Beatles to try cannabis for the first time? You know, I've heard this story uh, and it wasn't their manager. I, I'm going to say I give up. It was so it was Bob Dylan. And That's it's an who, incredible. I knew, I knew I knew who it was. <laughs> so it's an incredible story. And it's actually very well documented by right. a journalist who was right. there right. when it happened. Uh, but a, a lot of people don't know the story at all. And then most people don't know all the details. Right. Uh, and as somebody who is both a journalist and at this point, I'll call myself a historian. Uh, that is a great joy to me. I love to research these, uh, these stories. So I'll have the whole story researched when I sit down with Abdullah to uh, record an episode, but he has no idea what we're going to talk about oh. when we start. And, and so a lot of the fun is he's hearing these details. The sometimes he knows the story. Sometimes he has no idea. Right. Uh, he's hearing them all fresh. We react, we both, uh, you know, love to make each other laugh, but the underpinning of it is I'm pretty serious about the history. So we can talk about 
and and that's a really fun story. Some of the stories, like uh, I mentioned, Dennis Perone, uh, a medical cannabis activist. Uh, he he was arrested multiple times. He was shot by the police. He had his um, a lot of this activism was coming out of the gay rights movement during the AIDS crisis. Right. Uh, when 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 we saw how effective cannabis medicine was for people suffering with AIDS. So that there's a story where it's a great moment because he triumphed and he created a lot of these legal rights and he changed society's view of cannabis, but it has really um, difficult moments. Um, so we just try to be really present with each other, try to make the show entertaining, um, but really also honor these stories, honor these to us legendary people who who um created these great moments in weed history uh for us so i, I think that's what what really makes the, sh the show fun for us is that element of it happening uh the interaction between us um and then uh, we other times he will research the story and tell it to me so so it's a very very fun format i like i love that um so historically there's a song that we play at 4.20 on our live stream every time we do a live stream between 4 and 6 p.m. on our Twitch channel, our new Twitch channel. And it's a song by a New England singer named Jonathan Edwards. Are you familiar with Jonathan Edwards? No, I don't think I am. This is great because th th this, is a, this allows me as a New Englander to enlighten somebody from, I'm going to call you from California, even though we know you're originally from New Jersey. So there's a song called Shanty. And Shanty is a song by this guy, Jonathan Edwards, who I think his best hit was called Sunshine. Sunshine, go away today. Don't feel much like shine. Anyway, Shanty <laughs> is about him standing around the kitchen and putting a good buzz on. And we play it on our... our uh, programs at 420 because I get to enlighten people on the East Coast about the Waldos and the 420 group out of San Rafael, California, because it was 1971 when they started their tradition of meeting at the Louis Pasteur statue, catching a buzz, and then 420 became the code for law enforcement for people smoking weed outside, and then now it has become uh, kind of a, more of a culture, and now it's a brand. And Have you ever met the Waldos? I did meet them once at a at an event, uh, a rare public appearance for them, and we did an episode of the Great Moments in Weed History podcast about that whole history. That's one of the really fun episodes. Uh, a lot of youthful adventure, uh, and and a weird parallel because so here was this weed crew right. of young people who who uh, created four twenty. And we have another episode about a weed crew of young people called the Choom Gang. Uh, do you know who is the, uh, I would say, best known alumnus of the Choom Gang? So when President Barack Obama was elected, I thought we had actually made a lot of progress with race relations. I was one of those naive people who thought, oh, this is great. We finally moved on from Jim Crow and slavery and racism. And that didn't work out so well when we put this guy in the White House. But... Um, tell me the story about uh, the Chun game. 
Yeah, that, that that was a group of of friends in Hawaii uh, that uh, President Obama was a part of as a young person. And same thing. This this story is has been really well documented. Uh, uh, he hasn't. He mentioned it in his book. Uh, he did not refer to the Chum Gang, but he referred to his youthful uh, cannabis smoking. But what we really know is this was a group of young people that were friends, that were good students, that were uh, student athletes, and also enjoyed cannabis and was a formative time for this person who would go on to become uh, president of the United States. And so it's really fun uh, to look back on that time and hear these stories of somebody, uh, you know, now, what was Obama's ultimate record on cannabis? Maybe a B minus, yeah. you know, perhaps a C plus. Uh, he certainly did not uh, publicly push forward legalization, but when the first two states that legalized, uh, Colorado and Washington did it uh, during his time as president, he allowed that to go forward. And I think that's ultimately his legacy on cannabis was a lot of states legalized medicinally during his administration. The first two states legalized uh, for recreational and he allowed that progress to happen and ultimately towards the end of his presidency uh, made comments to the effect that cannabis is safer than alcohol. Um, and, you know, uh, that's his legacy, but you know, whereas Bill Clinton said, oh, I never inhaled. And, and, you know, he, a lot of other presidents tried cannabis, but he's the only one who was part. So we should mention that chuming was their word for smoking cannabis. Gotcha. Uh, so it was very, very central to this group of young people uh, and a lot of parallels to the Waldos. So, and, you know, I think a lot of young people are definitely part of weed crews that have a lot of in-jokes, that have a lot of adventures together. And so it's fun to reflect on your own uh, time. An another story about young people that we really loved is there was an incident where uh, a, a, a kid displayed a sign that said, bong hits for Jesus. Uh, as the Olympic torch was passing through his town on, as part of a school trip, and he was suspended from school. Ultimately, the bong hits for Jesus case made it all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, so you can follow that story also on Great Moments in Weed History. You've done a great job of, of documenting that. I'm going to go back to the Waldos real quick. They started in 1971. The reason, another reason why I explain it is that is also the first year that I partake, that I took part in the culture. Uh, and I was 14 years old at the time. And therein lies the other connection. And I play that shanty song because it was played on a local rock station on the AM dial, if people even remember what the AM dial was, back in the 70s on a daytimer out of Cambridge, Massachusetts, which you know is a very liberal Harvard University is there. And this was a daytime A-timer, and it was an alternative rock station in the 70s, and they used to play shanty. And it was a song he wrote in the 60s, and it, I'm trying to resurrect a following for Jonathan Edwards and kind of wave the flag 
That shanty is the song that I remember the most when it came to, oh, it's time to lay around the kitchen and put a good buzz on, which is one of the famous lines in that song. I'm going to send you a link from YouTube that we play so that you can experience it. It's a two and a half minute song, which by the way, is another one of those strange things. Back in the day in the 60s and 70s, songs were like two and a half minutes long. They were still great songs, but they were a lot shorter than they are now, right? Uh, yeah, for my uh, casual study of it. I, I'm looking forward to the song and I, I, will, uh, I will give it a full immersive listen. There you go. I, I appreciate the, uh, that. Um, I feel honored, actually, that I can actually enlighten you guys who are the historians <laughs> and have built up their little podcast about something you didn't know, which is great. Um, and I tell you, I think it's awesome that uh, you guys, I hope you continue to do these kinds of things. I also think a, a um, syndicated series of shorts, some of your stories. Are you putting a book together, David? Uh, we're definitely working on a few extensions of the uh, great moments in weed history cinematic universe, as they say. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's great. Uh, I think it's great that you do that. I was a history major in college, so, you know, I totally identify with this. Uh, I, I so appreciate you taking the time. I know we had a few trouble to get this thing going, but we got it going. I appreciate the effort. And uh, once again, where can people find this? It's pretty much all over the podcast world, right? Yeah, wherever you get your podcasts, if uh, Spotify, iTunes, you know, if you, if, if you get podcasts, it's right where you find your other podcasts. Uh, and then I always like to mention that I write a lot for Leafly. Uh, so that's where you can mainly find my journalism. There you go. And a few weeks ago, or actually it was probably a month ago now, we did interview Bruce Barcott. And I use a part of his book, Weed the People, to explain to parents the best way to talk to your kids about cannabis. And there was that one section in there where he had to talk to his then 12 year old about it. And I thought how he explained it was a very clear, focused way to um, enlighten the next generation, if you will, about the pluses and the minuses of this plant that God put on this earth to enhance our well-being and to perhaps, perhaps uh, provide medicine for those who need it the most. Sound like a plan? Absolutely. David, terrific talking with you. Thanks again, I appreciate it. Remember, it's a whole new world of weed out there. Use it responsibly. Thanks for watching, thanks for listening. We Talk Now, We Talk News, and In the Weeds are all available on most major podcast distributors like iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and our friends at clnsmedia.com and our flagship, cannabis.net. So subscribe, share, and like our videos on all the social media networks out there, including LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, The Weed Tube, and YouTube. Weed Talk and In the Weeds are two productions of pro-cannabis media supported by Revolutionary Clinics, one of the top medical cannabis dispensaries in the Massachusetts area, now with three locations in Greater Boston, two in Cambridge, and one on Broadway in Somerville. Rev Clinics has a patient-first mission. They will customize your needs as a medical patient with the proper titration and combination of strains, flavors, and products. Rev Clinics, where the patient comes first. We are Pro Cannabis Media.